All right, good morning, Randall Church. Glad to be here with you this morning. Always glad to have the opportunity to, to be here and worship with you uh, every, every couple months or so. Uh, if you don't know me, as, as uh, was said before when I was up here before, my name is Dan Davis. I am one of the pastors at Renewal Church over in North Tonawanda. Renewal is a church that, if you're not familiar, was uh, planted by this church about three or four years ago. And uh, we have been over there ministering to uh, North Tonawanda ever since. And this morning, uh, Milo is actually over at Renewal as I am here. Uh, Milo, if you don't know, was the lead planter uh, who got things up and running at Renewal uh, before he was over here as your pastor. So this gives us a chance to, to stay connected. I get to stay connected to you guys a little bit. He gets to stay connected over there a little bit and everything is great. Um, so this morning we are beginning a new sermon series in the book of Titus. The book of Titus or Teton, if you prefer the Greek. I like Teton better. I suggested it as a baby name to my wife this week and she said no. Um, so you can, you can correct her afterwards if you like. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of Titus. If you're using a, uh, uh, one of the Bibles in the pews in front of you, it's page 1251. You can go ahead and, and turn there with me. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I hate, and I mean I, I hate, and I will say it one more time, I hate the idea of the driverless car. Do you know the, the technology I'm talking about, the driverless car? Companies like Google and Tesla, they're, they're coming out with this, this car that they are calling driverless. And they're saying, you don't have to drive it, it will drive itself. Now, just by show of hands, how many of you are excited about this new technology? Anyone? All right, we got, we have a two or three, four, five, okay. You got a few of you, all right. I'm about to correct you here. I'm about to make you realize why it's not good. Uh, for, for me, the idea of the driverless car, I, I don't hate it because I'm like an old fogey or anything. You know, I just, I just like things the way they've always been. I don't like change. It's, it's nothing like that. Uh, it's because I, I don't believe in, in the idea of a driverless car. I think it's a complete hoax. Because here's the thing, is that any car that is ever on the road or will ever be on the road, someone or something is driving that car. There is no such thing as a driverless, well, there is such thing as a driverless car, it's called a parked car, okay? That's the only driverless car that you can actually have. There's always something or someone driving that car. When I'm in a car, I like to be the one driving the car, okay? I, you can ask my wife, I, I don't even let her drive. It's not because she's a bad driver, it's just because I'm a better one. Uh, but something, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's no offense, you know, I'm just a really good driver. Um, something or someone is always driving your car. Now for these cars, uh, it is a computer driving the car. My problem, comes in here. If a computer is driving your car, your car can be hacked, okay? Uh, your car can be hacked and somebody can be sitting in their local coffee shop, uh, sipping on their mochiato double whip, triple whatever, and, and be driving your car. They can hack into it. And all of a sudden, as you're going off the road, you realize, oh, Someone or something is driving this car and they're not doing a very good job. Well, this week as I was driving and I was thinking about how much I like to drive my own car, I realized that this same principle that someone or something is always driving your car is the same principle 
that we can apply to our lives and we can apply it to the church. Something or someone is always driving that car. The question is, who or what is it? Who or what is driving the car of your life? Who or what is driving the car that is this church? Well, this book of Titus that we're about to dive into is very much going to point this out to us. The main theme of the entire book is that there is an inseparable link between faith and godliness. There is an inseparable link between faith and godliness. Or another way uh, to say it would be theology and practice. Or behavior and beliefs. Or conduct and creed. Or uh, doctrine and deeds. I've got one for every letter of the alphabet, but I'll stop there. There is an inseparable link between what you believe, what your faith is in, and the way that you act. We're going to see that in our verses today, and we're going to see that throughout the entire book of Titus. Every single passage that we look at in the seven-week series, you will see the inseparable link between faith and godliness. That's why we are calling this sermon series the Grace Driven Church. We're calling it the Grace Driven Church because what we believe in is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a gospel of grace. It is a gospel that says it's not about what you do, but about what God has done. And we believe that when we put our faith in that, it will drive us as individuals and will drive us as the church to godliness. Now, before we look at the text today, I want to just give you a quick uh, background to the book of Titus so you can kind of understand what's going on, why we picked this book, why we are going through this book here at Randall as well as at Renewal. We will be starting it next week uh, because maybe this is one of those books that you've never really looked at before. Maybe you thought that Titus was a book that's not really for you because after all, it is one of the pastoral epistles, right? If you've ever heard that title, it's, it's something that uh, people call First Timothy. Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, the pastoral letters. And we say, oh, well, I'm not a pastor, so this isn't really a, a, a book for me. This isn't really something I, I should look at. Well, if I'm being honest with you, I don't really like to call them uh, the pastoral letters uh, simply because that's not what they are. They are not uh, the pastoral letters. Uh, because First and 2 Timothy and Titus were not letters written to pastors because Timothy and Titus were not pastors. Oh, <gasps> They weren't pastors. They were actually missionaries who were left in Ephesus or, or with Titus. He was left in Crete in order to appoint pastors in these newly founded churches. He was a delegate of the Apostle Paul. So let me give you the short version of what's going on here. Uh, the Apostle Paul has planted some churches on the island of Crete. At some point, most scholars believe it was after the book of Acts is done uh, and, and he has gone to Crete. He has planted some churches. He leaves Titus behind as he goes on to plant churches in other places. And he tells Titus in chapter 1, verse 5, that he left him behind in order to put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. So Titus' role actually is not the role of a pastor. He is not a permanent pastor of uh, this church. And therefore, this book does not speak just to pastors, but it speaks to the entire church. It is God's word for us. And therefore, I think you will find it to be highly, highly relevant. 
I think what you will see in here, you will not only find wonderful theology, but you will also see how that, that theology affects the way you live your life. I think you will find uh, not only instructions for the church, but you will find the very center of the church, why the church exists, what the church is here for. But most of all, and above anything else, you will find our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the beautiful good news of what he has done. And so, I hope you like introductions, uh, because after that long introduction, we're going to read Paul's introduction to the book today in uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And, And the main theme of these verses is simply that there is an inseparable link between faith and godliness. So read along with me, and then we're going to look at three truths that we find in these verses. Starting at verse 1, and this is the word of God. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, in which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. So the first truth that I want us to see today and how our faith is inseparably linked uh, to, our, uh, to our godliness is this. Our identity comes from the God we serve. Our identity comes from the God we serve. In verse 1, Paul said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's introducing himself. And he is first and foremost seeking to establish his authority in terms of the message that he is giving. This word apostle, it simply means messenger, one who was sent with a message. And the message that we find here in the book of Titus, and the message that we find throughout the whole of the scriptures, it is the message of Jesus Christ himself. Paul's authority is not based on himself. He's not giving his uh, opinion on these matters. He's not just giving his, his thoughts on what he thinks uh, about these things. He is in complete submission to God as God's servant, and he is carrying the very message of Jesus Christ. But notice that he identifies himself according to the God he serves. He identifies himself as a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now he's writing to Titus, and in some sense, he's, he's kind of like Titus' boss. But he doesn't write to him and say, hey, it's Paul, your boss. And he doesn't write to him and say, hey, it's Paul, the great teacher. If you look in Philippians 3, you will get a sense of, of, who, uh, of how Paul found his identity before he came to Christ. He found his identity in his nationality. He was a Jew. He was of uh, the tribe of Benjamin. He, he found his identity in his educational background. Uh, he was a Pharisee trained uh, by some of the greatest teachers. And he found his identity in the way that people viewed him. But he says, when I came to know Jesus, I threw all of that away. I threw it all away. And I found my identity in him. And now this is how he identifies himself. He now, he now finds his identity in who he is to God. 
And therefore, his identity, his identity is dependent on who God is. His identity is dependent on who God is. Have you ever thought about that before? Have you ever thought about the fact that if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your identity is dependent on who this God is. Let me ask you this. When you, when you read the Bible, when you go to the Bible, if you do so, when you go to it, what is it that you are seeking what is it that you are seeking when you go to God's word? Are you seeking some instructions in, in what to do in life? Are, are you seeking uh, some, some uh, way of living? Or are you seeking who God is? You know, the Bible is not an instruction manual. It, it does have some commands. But overall, it is the story of who God is and what he has done. Remember this. The Bible is for you, but it's not about you. The Bible is for you, but it's not about you. It's about who this God is, what he has done, and therefore we see who we are in light of him. Our identity, it comes from the God we serve. So we got to ask ourselves, who is this God? Who is this God where we receive our identity from. Who is this God that we say we believe in? Uh, I'm going to show you five things real quick that we find just in these verses alone. In these four verses alone, and we'll see them throughout the rest of the book of Titus. First of all, he is God who is sovereign. He is God who is sovereign. He says in verse 1 that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect. God is sovereign over the world. God is sovereign over salvation. He is the sovereign God. Number two, he is God who promised eternal life from eternity past. He's a God who cares. He's a God that didn't uh, just create and when his uh, creation rebelled against him, he said, you know what, I'm done with it. He is a God who cares and he promises eternal life. We see that in verse two. And hope of eternal life, promised before the beginning of time. He is a God who promises. Number three, he is a God who has brought eternal life to light. We see that in verse three. He has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me. He's not just a God who promises. He is a God who is faithful to do all that he promises to do. I hope you saw that in the book of Hebrews that we've been going through for the past six months. It is a main theme throughout that book. Number four, he is God who saves at the end of verse 3, he says, by the command of God, our Savior. And last of all, he is God who is Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 3, he says, God, our Savior. And at the end of verse 4, he says, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Now you'll see this in every single chapter of the book of Titus. He goes back and forth between God, our Savior, and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now Paul knows that there is only one Savior. All throughout the scriptures, God testifies that I and I alone, this is God speaking, I and I alone am the Savior of my people. Paul knows that. And he goes back and forth saying, God, our Savior, Christ Jesus, our Savior. And in chapter 2, he will even say, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is one of the persons of the Trinity. He is God the Son who walked this earth, remaining 100% God, but also being 100% man, walking this earth to die for our sin. 
Guys, this is who our God is. And this is just what we find in these four verses alone. He is our God, and we derive our identity from him. If he is sovereign, then whoever he says we are, that is who we are. And we'll see that in the gospel, he says that whoever believes in me is my child. They are my child. Who are you? Who are you today? Do you even know? Do you, do you know this, this great God? When you are seeking to find yourself and, and try to discover who you are, do you try to look deep within or do you look to him? There's a big difference. The answer is found in God. Our identity always comes from the God we serve. Now, maybe you're here today and, and you say, you know what, I don't believe in God. So this doesn't really apply to me. And, and I say, oh, oh no, my friend, it still does. Your identity, you still derive your identity from the God you serve. Now, you might not call that thing God, but whatever it is that is in the driver's seat of your life, whatever it may be, whether it's money, whether it's your job, whether it's your, your family, whatever it is, whatever is in the driver's seat of your life is your God. The question is, who is it? Who is in the driver's seat? Who or what is driving this car? So first of all, the first truth was our identity comes from the God we serve. But let's move on. The second truth we find is that our behavior comes from the truth we believe. Our behavior comes from the truth we believe. Now this is where our main theme comes in. Paul, throughout this book of, of, of uh, Titus, will have the big concern of correct doctrine. But here's the deal, is he's not uh, seeking correct doctrine just for the sake of being right. He's seeking correct doctrine because he knows that the, the truth you believe will drive the way you live and it will drive your hope. It's not uh, correct beliefs for the sake of being correct. It is for the sake of godliness and hope. For, the, for godliness and hope. Let me give you a little illustration of this uh, to show you that our behavior comes from the truth we believe. Now, when you were a kid, if you were like most kids, uh, you probably thought that there were monsters or the boogeyman in your closet, yes, or under your bed or wherever in your room uh, you thought he or they were. And what you would do is you would, before you turn the lights out, when you went to bed, you would check the closet and you would check under your bed and make sure there's no book. Or actually, most likely what you did was you had your parents come in and check your closet or under your bed, right? Because you really thought that the boogeyman was in there. You really thought that monsters were in there. And that drove your fear. That drove how you went to bed at night. That drove everything about how you tried to go to sleep. Now, your parents' reaction, I hope, was not to just try to change your behavior. I hope your parents' reaction was not just stop checking the closet. Just stop checking under your bed. Because it's the truth that we believe that drives our behavior. Instead, what your parents did was prove to you that there is no such thing as the boogeyman. Because they knew that if they could get you to believe that there was no boogeyman, then you wouldn't be afraid of him anymore. I think the same thing happens in what we believe about God and what we believe about the gospel and what we believe the Bible is teaching us, what good and correct doctrine is. Let me show you how. If we believe that the gospel says do better 
and you will be accepted by God, then you will live your life in fear. You will live your life in fear, wondering, did I do good enough today? Did I, did I do good enough today? Like, is, does God love me today? And you will become so enclosed with yourself. You will become so focused on yourself and making sure that every step you take is correct rather than being free to say, yes, God loves me, not because of what I have done, but because of what he has done. And now I can live my life freely for him. That's how truth affects godliness. But look at what he says in verse one. He says, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He is not uh, just seeking to further faith and, and further knowledge of the truth just so people will be right, just so they have something in their head that is going to be right. It's so that it will lead to godliness. My friends, faith and knowledge of the truth lead to godliness. It is, it is good doctrine. It is the real and true gospel that leads us to lives driven by God. Now, we are saved by faith alone. That's, that's one of the, the mantras of the church. Mantras, mantras, however you say that word. It's one of the, the mantras of the church. We are saved by faith alone. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said, we are saved by faith alone. But true faith never remains alone. If we have uh, true faith in God, we will give our lives to him. We will act in line with his gospel. Y'all, we have to get in the habit of uh, letting our beliefs drive what we do. I should say our beliefs always do drive what we do. But sometimes what we do really shows what we really believe. And what do we believe? Well, let's move on to the third truth that we will see here. First, we saw our identity comes from the God we serve. Then we saw that our behavior comes from the truth we believe. And last, we see our hope comes from the gospel we preach. He says in verses 2 and 3, And the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light, through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Somewhere along the line, uh, we, we started to believe, or many started to believe, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is simply just you're forgiven of your sins. That's all it is. You're, just, you're forgiven of your sin. Hey, there is a God who loves you. He doesn't care about what you do. He just he forgives your sin. And while forgiveness of sin is most certainly a, a major part of the true gospel, it is not the end goal. The end goal of the gospel is not forgiveness of sins. It is reconciliation with God. It is adoption into the family of God. It is eternal life. That's what he says here in verse 2, in the hope of eternal life. Now, eternal life, we, we've got to get right as well. Uh, I, I think two places we go wrong. Eternal life, uh, sometimes we see as this thing that uh, starts after we die. We die and then eternal life begins. But that's not the biblical view of eternal life. It begins now. It begins when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Nor does it simply mean that it's life that goes on forever. It's not just life everlasting. 
It is that, but it is much more. It is life with God for all of eternity. It is life face to face in his glory. It is life with the creator of the universe. It is life with our father for all of eternity. And that, my friends, is our hope. That is our hope. Our hope is not that we'll have our best life now. Our hope is not that uh, if we have enough faith, then good things will come our way. It is eternity with God, a relationship with him that we will become one of his children and he will be our father. Danny Aiken says this. He says, eternal life is the very life of God. It is both a quantity of life that is forever and a quality of life. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Eternal life is not just everlasting, it is abundant. It is everything that you have ever longed for. It is, it is life that is, is just flowing out of us. And it comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our ultimate hope. As I've said many times, the gospel is not what you need to do. It is what God has done. So what is it that he has done? He has created a people. He has created the world. And he created man to be made in his image, to give him glory all throughout the world and to be in relationship with him, to love him and be loved by him. But man turned against God. We rebelled. We said, no, I'm putting something else in the driver's seat. Maybe you're putting yourself in the driver's seat. Maybe you're putting something else in the driver's seat. Whatever it is, we say, I'm putting something else in the driver's seat. It's not God. But God has redeemed a people for himself. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born as a man, remaining 100% God, but being 100% man. He lived the perfect life. He earned all the merit. He did all the right things. He he earned it. And yet he died a death that he didn't deserve in order to take the punishment for our sin and to give us his right standing with God. And he raised again on the third day, going back to the Father to stand before him and intercede on our behalf and say, yes, this one, This one is in me. This one is a child of God. This one is a child of God. The gospel says that you are more sinful than you ever knew you were, but you are more loved than you ever imagined you could be. The gospel says that Jesus Christ has taken the punishment for our sins and we have been forgiven and therefore we have been changed. The spirit of God comes to live inside of us and transform every aspect of our lives. We don't just go on with life the way we always knew it. We don't just go on uh, living in all the sin that, that we lived in before. We are changed. We are changed by this gospel. And we'll see that in in chapter 2, especially of Titus, that God has come uh, to to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And this is the life that God has given us. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. It's found in the word of God and is preserved and passed down through the church. 
It is not a gospel that says, do better. It's not a gospel that says, hey, be happy. It's not a gospel that, that says, hey, just have faith. Just have faith in you know, any old thing and you'll be all right. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ has won a people for himself. That Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins. And he says, if you put your faith in me, then you are a child of God. This, my friends, is the central message of the church. This is the central message of the church. It's the gospel. This is the gospel that we preach week in and week out. This is the gospel that we live on. We don't, we don't start believing it and then just kind of leave it behind as we grow in other things. We constantly bring ourselves back to the foot of the cross to see that Jesus Christ is Savior and he is Lord. He is King over all. What you believe will drive the way you live. And the way you live will demonstrate what you believe. So then my question is, what do you really believe in? What do you really believe in today? Who or what is driving your car? Who or what is driving the car of this church? So what do we do? Maybe you're here today and, and you're realizing uh, for the first time that someone else is driving your car. You thought you were in a driverless car, you realize you've been hacked. That's a problem, right? That's somewhere I hope none of you ever will be. But you realize that somebody or something is driving your car for the first time. What do we do? Four things. First of all, know whose you are. Know whose you are. If you're honest with yourself, who is driving your car today? Is it your money? Is it riches? Is it success? Is it a, a, a person, another person? Is it acceptance, being a people pleaser? May I propose to you that the only good answer is Jesus Christ. It's only Jesus Christ and the truth of his gospel. Second, know the one you belong to. Don't just know whose you are. Don't just know his name. Know him. He invites you to know him. He's given us his word so that we can know him. He's put his spirit inside of us so that we can know him. Know him. Don't just know him by name. Seek him out. Open his word. Seek out who he is in it. Third, live the doctrine you believe. We often say you got you to practice what you preach, right? Sometimes our preaching doesn't line up with our practice. Go to the word of God. Live by it. Don't live by pragmatism. Don't, don't live off of uh, just what, uh, you know, somebody else says you should do. As a church, don't just live off of what other churches do. Uh, don't live off of anything like that. Live off of the word of God. And last of all, look to Jesus Christ, your hope in all of life. The gospel is the central message. It is the thing we go back to in all of life. Whether you're parenting, whether you're at your job, whether you're at church, whether you're with your friends or family, whether you're driving in your car, look to Jesus Christ in all of life. Look to the cross that he died on to bring you into the family of God. We find him in his word and at work in his people. Can I tell you something? This is why we plant churches. 
This is why we plant churches, because we believe that God is the rightful, sovereign king over all the universe, and we believe that Jesus Christ changes lives. And we believe that when this gospel word goes out, it will change the lives of people. It will give them hope. It will lead to godliness. It will fix all the brokenness of the world and why we, while we don't see it in total in this life. He is coming once again to set everything right. And those who are found in him will live with him forever. They will have eternal, abundant life. And so we plant churches to put this gospel message out to the world. We'll go ahead and call the, the band back up. I'd ask you uh, to pray with me. And as we pray, I'd ask you to, to, to ask the spirit of God to search you to search your heart and reveal to you who or what is in the driver's seat of my life today. Pray with me. God, we thank you for this good gospel. Lord, we thank you for this news of what you have done. Lord, it is not what we do. And we thank you for that because there is no hope in that, Lord. And we confess that today, that if it was on our own merit, if it was on our own ability, then we would have no hope. But Lord, it is in what you have done. It is in your life, your death, your resurrection, that you have conquered sin, you have conquered death, and you have paid the price that we should have had to pay. And you have given us all of your righteousness, all of your merit, and even your own relationship, your own sonship with the Father. Lord, show us today what might be in the driver's seat of our lives. What, 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 what might we have been hacked by today, Lord? Teach us. Teach us, Lord, to look to you. Teach us to look to your word. Teach us to, to let what we believe about your word drive who we are and what we do. And Lord, let us always look to the true gospel for life, for godliness, and for hope. And let us offer it to others, Lord. Let us offer it to others as we continue uh, to pass down from generation to generation to generation this gospel. Lord, I thank you for this church, almost 200 years old, that has passed down the gospel from one generation to the next. May we continue to do that today, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.